0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our online service today. Uh, It's really great to have you all, and I hope that you're enjoying your time uh, either with your house church or if you're watching this uh, later on at a convenient time. We really do love having you along and hope that this morning you can have a meaningful and fulfilling experience of God. Our series has been called A New Way to Live, whether we like it or not. That last part isn't part of the title. I just added it there. But it seems that this new way to live has kind of been thrust upon us, uh, willingly or unwillingly. I hope, though, that you can see the profound nature of our faith that during a time like this, we're able to understand that God is doing a new thing, as uh, our friend Zelvin preached to us a couple of weeks ago. And it's an incredible God that we serve when circumstances like this can actually be turned for our good and our growth. And so today we're looking at new values. What what is it at the core of our lives as followers of Christ at this time? But before we launch into that, my wife tells me that I keep starting sermons without properly introducing myself. So, Hello, my name's Sandy. I'm one of the members here at Kimmel Church. I'm married to Beck, and we have a beautiful little two-year-old girl called Evelyn. She's just the sunshine of our life. At the moment, you may have seen her running around and making noise at the back of the auditorium, um, although she's uh, going to have some competition for all of the attention in a few months' time. So in about three months, please think of us and our sleep in your prayers. Uh, I'm a high school English and history teacher, uh, and I did my theological study before getting qualified as a teacher. Uh, I love sports and music, and I'm a bit of a nerd for classical languages and uh, ancient history. So with that out of the way, um, I want you to think for just a minute about the values that drive everything that you do. Because at the heart of all of our decision-making lies a set of values that informs all of our responses, all of our priorities, how we spend our time and our resources, and what trajectory our life is on. What might those values be for you? For some people in our world, those, those things are money, or recognition, or achievements, or perhaps comfort. Or maybe they're things like family, kindness, or equality. Now, it's our agenda as Christians for in a time like this to be thinking, how might God be using this situation to further his kingdom globally and locally and to grow his church corporately and individually? In a time where everything unnecessary has been stripped away, is God wanting to uncover the values that lie at the heart of it all? I think that he is. And I would ask you to posture your heart towards him this morning that we might allow him to show us those values and perhaps to better align them with his. Firstly, uh, new values is a bit of a clickbait title because a quick th- look through history shows us that whenever society or culture has been revolutionized by a set of new values or ideas, it's actually been a rediscovery of old values. The great reformation of the church in the 16th century was built on the humanist motto of ad fontes or back to the sources. It was a rediscovery of all of these old ideas, the ancient Greek philosophy and and things like that which drove a complete cultural, spiritual and religious revolution. Martin Luther took a step back from the Latin Vulgate and consulted the Greek and the Hebrew of the Bible and found that the core of what we are as Christians is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it totally changed the religious and spiritual landscape of the time. It was the same thing with the Renaissance. All of, you know, artisans and intellectuals alike rediscovered all of the classical. Uh, Ideas and it led to a complete uh, renewal of culture, uh, architecture, art, science, learning. Every aspect of humanity flourished because of the rediscovery of these old values. And in the same way, revival in the church has never been about discovering some new way to do things, it's always been about rediscovering the old in a new way making us return to the place, to the reasons that we are the church, that is salvation through Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. The words of Revelation chapter 2 ring clearly on this matter. The letter to the church of Ephesus from verse 2 reads, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place." I've heard a wonderful term used of the COVID crisis, and that is de-globalization. For the last three or four centuries, our world has been globalizing frantically. And in the last hundred years in particular, the pace has been quite frenetic. And every decade, it seems to accelerate. We've been obsessively globalizing and connecting with the world. But this COVID crisis has put a sudden and dramatic stop to the globalization and it's forced people back into their communities. I had a friend who recently admitted that it was only during the restrictions and particularly the the Anzac Day service when we all went out on our streets for Anzac Day morning. That was the first time that he'd met his neighbors and he'd been living next to them for five years. The shutting down of international borders, the scaling back of all things international has pushed people back into their primary relationships. People are spending more time with their families. I mean, talk about a silver lining. But that also shows us the uncomfortable truth that somewhere along the way, we lost sight of those relationships which were meant to be most important to us. We overreached as a society, seizing the potential of our connected world. But in doing so, We were removing ourselves individually from those who really should matter most. We've been stretched so thin under the disguise of productivity that there's been little left for those that we care most for and who should have most of our time. But the step deeper than that doesn't take a genius to figure out. If our primary horizontal relationships have been affected, they've paid the price for the values that have been driving us then our primary vertical relationship must have been affected as well. I know this is true because I've seen it in my own life. I mean, we constantly tell ourselves that a successful Christian is someone who is able to keep all of their priorities in balance. And so we strive to keep Christ first in our lives while ironically not shifting or sacrificing or moving any of the other things that we love to do. You know, the question is how can I keep Christ first without changing or removing any of these other things. And I want to give you an analogy. Uh, It's as though each of us has a jar and we have stones of various sizes to put in that jar. These stones are the values that we hold and the things that we like to do. And some stones are bigger than others. So work is a big stone for most people and it takes up a commensurate amount of our time. And then other stones might be things like uh, family or hobbies or uh, entertainment, for instance. But then we look at the stone which represents Christ and we see that that stone is much, much bigger than all of the other stones. And so knowing that if we were to put that one in first in its rightful place, we might not have room to put the other stones in that we're really quite fond of So we pack all of the little stones in at the bottom where they can't be touched and they can't be moved. And then somewhere near the top, we try and put that large stone, which represents Jesus. And sooner or later, there's just not enough room and everything starts to overflow, which kind of feels like what's been happening in the recent situation. I mean, think about your prayer life. I know that for me, most of my prayers actually revolve around the needs of those other little stones and all of the little things going on in my life. The the prayers, uh, I've been asking God to uh, meet my needs with regards to them, but the prayers concerning that larger stone, the prayers of intimacy, the prayers of longing uh, and of spiritual hunger uh, have gotten few And the truth is that of all of the possible values and priorities, there is really only one. That is Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Elsewhere, he says, I count all things as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There are no other values, only Christ. So how do we renew this longing? How do we rediscover the value of Christ? The answer is Jesus himself. If we are renewed in our view of Jesus, if we let the profound nature of his person sink in, we can't help but be drawn to him as our one value, our one thing. So I want to remind you of who Jesus is. I believe that this morning, our renewed understanding of Jesus comes from two aspects of his nature, his eminence and his imminence. The eminence of the Lord Jesus Christ is his unparalleled majesty, authority and power. If we look at Hebrews 1, it says that at past times, in many and various ways, God spoke to us through his servants, the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through Jesus, his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the exact imprint of his nature and the radiance of his glory. The rest of the chapter explains how we naturally attribute the glory of heaven to angels. And yet when we compare that with the glory of Jesus, it's just on a completely different level. He is so far above that glory, which we naturally understand to be more than ours. There's nothing that even comes close. I mean, he says, to which of the angels has God said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This Jesus whom we serve is the beginning and the ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. So great is his eminence that one of his best friends, John, saw him in a vision and instead of you know, some familiar secret handshake or some warm embrace, John was struck with Jesus in all of his resurrected eminence and he fell down as though he was dead. Jesus is not some random guy in a baseball cap standing on the other side of the fence waving at you trying to get your attention while you busily live your life. Jesus is the conquering general who has stormed the field with his army and his very eminence demands a response. This is the reason that we serve and honour Jesus. But the reason that we love and worship Jesus is because of his imminence, or more appropriately, because of both his imminence and his eminence together. It would be within Jesus' right as eminent being of the universe to demand our worship and adoration, but instead he chose to be imminent. So much so that he became one of us, he walked among us, he suffered like us. He died for us and he redeemed us. Yes, he is the Lion of Judah, but he is also the Lamb of God and he is the good shepherd who loves the sheep and his sheep love the sound of his voice. Perhaps you can think of moments in your life uh, when you felt the imminence of Jesus, his tender and tactful dealings with us as sinful creatures, or the care and provision uh, that he gives you. And my wife and I are continually blown away by this care and provision that God has given us. And it's, you know, a lot of the time it feels as though God sees us individually, like his eyes are upon us and he's uh, smiling at us. And that's all the more incredible when we realize his eminence at the same time that he's paying attention to us uniquely as individuals and our needs while he's, you know, running the universe on the side. His eminence is made all the more incredible by understanding his eminence. I'm not quite sure how to ba- paint a, a better picture here, but perhaps it would be an appropriate time for some reflection. I just want to share a song with you and hope that as you listen to this song, You might start to just stir up those feelings of those desires to simply be with God, to simply know Christ and to hunger and thirst for Him.
1: my soul come away to hunger to see of my soul pour it me to overflow Spirit of the living God Come fall afresh on me Come wake me from my sleep Draw through the caverns of my soul that's your glory It's your call.
0: Here's the trick with the jar, the best way to fit all the stones in the jar is actually to put the big ones in first. Yes, they take up the most room, but as the little stones are poured in, they fill the gaps around the bigger stones and the jar ends up more full than if you do it the other way around, putting the small stones in at the bottom. You see, I'm pushing this analogy to its limits, but I hope you can see the truth here that the position of all of those other stones is dependent upon, it's determined by the position of those larger stones. It is the larger stones which hold those other priorities in place. When your only value is Jesus, the rest of your priorities fall into place. Maybe not in the way you expect almost certainly not in the way that you have planned, but in the way that God intends for your good and your growth. So what happens when Jesus is our only priority? What does that look like? Well, the result is that you begin to live from the overflow of abundant life. Now, I'm aware that living from the overflow is a loaded term. So we're not talking about the Kenneth Copeland or Joel Osteen version of that statement here. This has nothing to do with material abundance. This is about relational abundance with Jesus Christ. If you're tired of holding all of the other stones in place because it is exhausting, then the good news is that you were never meant to. But having Jesus in that rightful position means that he upholds all of those other things. I want to talk now about four results from this uh, living out of the overflow. These are secondary values. If, if we keep Christ as our core value, which really should be our only uh, priority, then these things start to form as uh, secondary values around that stone. So the first result of this overflow is fruits of the Spirit. The closer you are to Christ, the more character, your character, begins to reflect his. Just like Moses' face shone with the presence of the Lord when he came down with the mountain, so too our behavior and our character uh, begins to model and reflect Jesus as we spend more time intimately with him. Empowered by the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These qualities eventually, inevitably, lead us to a focus on people. The fruits of the Spirit lead us to a focus on people. Relationships, care and love, selflessness, they become one of our secondary values to Christ. But it's not something that you have to produce by yourself. It's a byproduct. It's an effect of the overflow of deep relationship with Christ. The second result is a focus on eternity. With your eyes on the eternal one, all things in this world and this temporal state disappear from your focus. This means that you live a life that is far more connected to what's going on in the present and aware of its connection to eternity. C.S. Lewis in his Screwtape Letters explains that the present is all lit up with the rays of eternity. The present moment is that part of time which is most connected to eternity. For in the present, we experience God relationally. The devil wants us to live in the past, where we live in shame or regret, where memories are frozen, or better yet, to live in the future, where we are shaped by things that might never eventuate, especially fear. But close connection with Christ keeps us in the present, fills us with joy and contentment and connects us. To eternity. The third overflow is in the area of justice. What moves God heart, God's heart becomes what moves our heart. I saw a picture of a, uh, a church sign in America recently which said uh, we worship a man of color who was killed by those who uphold the law. All through the Gospels, we see that Jesus detests the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who, on the one hand, uphold the law, but on the other, neglect basic matters of justice. Now, that doesn't mean that all Christians should be out placarding or even campaigning on the same issues. I believe that God puts specific issues on the heart of individuals and that that's what uh, becomes their flag to raise, so to speak. And so, in the economy of God's kingdom... The uh, body of Christ actually accomplishes far more than if everyone was patriotic about the one issue. But idleness and hypocrisy when it comes to issues of justice uh, are not the heart of God. The fourth overflow is into church. Now, God loves his church. The church is the bride of Christ. And at this moment, we're all sort of trying to figure out what church is going to look like into the future and what kind of lasting effects this sort of situation is going to have uh, and how it's going to shape the church. I have to admit that uh, I really don't know the answer to this one, but I do know two things. Firstly, a true relationship with Christ results in a love for the church. Not the building, but the people And it results in a desire to meaningfully connect with uh, other people. The second thing that I know is the only way for us to figure this out is to put that rock of Christ in its rightful place and God will sort out the details. The great thing about all of these values, and there are lots more, but I've only just touched on four today. The great thing about these values is that we don't need to conjure up the energy for them ourselves. These are things that come from the overflow of a solid and vital uh, relationship with Christ. We were never meant to do the heavy lifting. That's Jesus' job. And our job is simply to place him at the center and to return to the love that we had at first. So I want to encourage you all this week to carve out some time For just some time and a space that's just for you and Jesus. Do whatever connects you to Him, uh, whether that's through worship or music or journaling or being in nature, uh, whatever works for you. I doubt that what works for you is surfing the internet or scrolling through Facebook. But work on just being with Jesus and fanning into flame that first love. Look to acknowledge His eminence in the world and His imminence in your life and just see where that takes you with him. I hope you have a great week. Be blessed and we'll catch up with you next time.